Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, Week 13 NFC Team Preview Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Joining me, as he does every single Wednesday, the one, the only host of the Unexpected Points Podcast, PFF Data Analyst, Kevin Cole. Kevin, what's up, man? Another much. We're, yeah, we're getting into the NFC here. I'm, I'm loving the NFC now. You know, um, we have probably three different teams who could be the best team in the NFC. Uh, sneaky San Francisco 49ers, of course, will, you know, we'll, we'll talk about eventually. But um, sneaky, sneaky, potentially the best team in the NFC. We'll start with one of those top three teams leading the NFC East. Your 10 and one Philadelphia Eagles at home against the Titans this week. The Eagles are favored by five and a half points. Game total at 44 and a half. So. Kind of talked about this because, look, when you have a 10-1 and team with a legit MVP candidate in Jalen Hurts, there aren't that many holes to try to pick in the overall offense. Defense, you know, mentioned especially in our AFC preview about some of their issues in run defense, but you're getting Jordan Davis back. They already did such a good job at the deadline, you know, adding guys like Sue and and, and Linval as well. So they've been, you know, okay, they lose – Gardner Johnson, maybe that could be a new thing, but such a strong team. And we've seen them again, address these holes, go out of their way to really throughout the entire offseason, time and time again. So the only thing I can continuously can come back to as even a small concern, Kevin, is the upside of this passing game. And I'm not trying to sit here and say Jalen Hurts is an RB and he can't throw the ball. Clearly he can. A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, fantastic. And Mike Salfino. Do you see Mike? Do you know who Mike Salfino is? Uh, the beat reporter? Yeah, well, he he's I don't know if he does work for five thirty other. He's uh he he he's okay. I've gotten to know him a little bit better, but he's insane. But <laughs> it, it, on Twitter in particular, Jets fan, Jets fan, insane Jets fan. Um, but he had some tweet that was getting dunked on about the fact of, you know, should we say that Jalen Hurts is he Jalen Hurts not really playing quarterback or something to that effect? So of course, you know, he got he got piled on for saying that Jalen Hurts doesn't play quarterback. That's incorrect, but you do look at the total passing yards, and they've cleared 225 yards one time since week three, and that was when A.J. Brown went nuclear against the Steelers. So I guess the question is just like, can they keep running the football this well into January? Because we do tend to think that you do at some point need to be able to run the ball, but the Eagles is kind of the other thing where it's like, if a team can start to slow down the run game, do you have enough confidence in Hurts, A.J.B., Devontae Smith, probably Dallas Goddard down the stretch. He came out today and said he does expect to be back in week 15 enough firepower enough proven ability as a passer for Hurts and company to capture the nfc because that's their expectation level at this point yeah yeah i mean i think the way that they're playing like their overall offensive efficiency is still awesome success rate is still awesome the way that they are doing it from a fantasy football perspective um when you have A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and eventually Dallas Goddard coming back. It's going to be frustrating It's going to be when you're not putting up enough of those passing yards. You're fine for Jalen Hurts. You're, you're loving it, uh, obviously, for Miles Sanders. From a real kind of football perspective, if you flipped it and you gave me an excellent passing game and a muddling you know, around rushing game, I would be much more happy to have that as a fan of the team and for their chances going forward. Um, just because this season they've had, they have the ed- easiest schedule in the NFL for the entire season to this point, according to our numbers, they've had the 29th uh, hardest schedule. So the third easiest schedule, and then they have the 24th hardest schedule going forward. So they're not necessarily even going to be tested until they get into the playoffs. We do have the Titans 
next week, which could be something, not really. Um, Giants, Bears, Cowboys. That's going to be the game. Cowboys week 16, a little bit more of a prove-it game. They faced Cooper Rush last time. And then you have the Saints and the Giants. So, you know, they might not be really tested outside of that Cowboys game where we're like, do we need to score some points facing another good passing offense? But that is going to happen at some point in the playoffs. I actually think this could be a sneaky, tough game for them. I mean, we saw the Colts give them a few fits because, again, this run defense with Philly, it hasn't quite been there. And if we are going to see the Titans be able to win, it's going to be by establishing Derrick Henry on the ground time and time again. So at least from that perspective, you can start to wrap your mind around them having a little more success on offense than usual against Philly because the secondary Philly has and what they've been able to do all year as a pass defense has just been phenomenal. And then if you look at the Titans, I mean, Saquon Barkley just completely killed them in week one. But ever since then, I mean, they've only allowed 100 rushing yards twice and those teams didn't even get over the 110-yard mark. So it was even then pretty close. And the running backs, I mean, Jonathan Taylor, 30 combined carries against this group for just 100 scoreless yards. Outside of Saquon, we have seen, you know, time and time again, guys like P. Ryan, Damian Pierce, Josh Jacobs, Aaron Jones, just not get a tongue going. So maybe, just maybe, the Titans could be the first team to take away some of that success on the ground, force Jalen Hurts to beat them through the air, which, again, I think he's more than capable of doing, but we just haven't, they haven't needed to go that route. So why go, why not? not take the path of least resistance just something to keep an eye on i will also say last week first time of the season kevin that we have seen the damn jalen hurts qb sneak not work 21 of 24 first downs have been picked up on those jalen hurts qb sneaks one of the instances where they didn't get it he then scored a touchdown on the next play last week it took a fumbled snap i mean I can't remember a year we've seen more that we see more evolutions of the QB sneak out there. Like the Eagles now, they put two guys behind them, not just the one tight end. They put one guy on each side. I want to see them forward. snap it through the tight end's <laughs> legs when he's pretending to take the sneak to the quarterback. What do you think about that? I, I like it, man. But we've also seen, um, I, I don't know if it was Josh Allen. The Bills have gotten funky with it a couple times over the years where he kind of like takes a step in and then they pitch it out wide. Like one of them, I think it was Lamar Jackson, actually. He just like, you know, everyone jumbled in the middle. So he went off tackle. We're going to see one of these guys just break like a 70-yard touchdown on a QB sneak here. And I am absolutely here for it. Just been such a short yardage metric. I mean, every time the Eagles are in prime time, we get to hear about how Jalen Hurts can squat 600 plus pounds and get that old Oklahoma video so i love it never skip leg day is the lesson there final point here though miles sanders because again i mentioned all the troubles that running backs have had against his titans defense i mean since their week six by total rushing yards allowed 65 43 77 65 56 the Bengals just barely managed to get to 108 so with miles sanders the guy he actually caught three passes last week which was rather shocking but that is not anything we can rely on on the season by any stretch just 60 total receiving yards on the year for Miles Sanders. So it's weird, Kevin, when you have a guy coming off 150 plus yards and two touchdowns, because like if that's in their range of outcomes, how could you sit him on the bench? But I find myself at Miles Sanders ranked as the RB25 because I'm just not expecting 15 to 20 carries for him to go all that well against this defense. Am I overthinking a matchup? Because he could certainly fall into the end zone a couple times. That said, I mean, the amount of goal line reps that Kenneth Gamewell gets, man, is absolutely infuriating for anyone out there that has Miles Sanders. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I mean, maybe I would boost him up a little bit on there. But as you mentioned, this Titans team, uh, you know, the market is kind of an agreement with you in here. I was going to look up and just say that Ian is endorsing any and all bets on the Tennessee Titans in this game. So the Eagles are five and a half point favorites at home. So Anytime you get over three, it's pretty significant, but not even being six or more against the Titans at home, I think that gives you an idea of how people view maybe the fragility of this Eagles offense uh, playing against this defense. Hey, uh, you asked me at the end of the last podcast, Kevin, people might have turned it off, but you asked me if I was one of those, you know, idiot Buckeye fans that wants Ryan Day out of here. The yeah. one coach, the one coach that I would be fine with them replacing Ryan Day with, come home, Mike Vrabel. Come home, man. And still Mike that Vrabel. toughness. Is that, yeah, it's a possibility, I guess. That's Probably the one. Though. That's the one. But yeah, that line, um, it actually opened, or I don't know. It's I'm seeing one thing saying it opened at Eagles minus two. That doesn't seem accurate, though. All right, we'll just move on here. Second place Cowboys sitting here at eight and three. Sunday night football in Jerry World. The Cowboys are favored by 11 game total at 43 and a half. So you mentioned at the start of the podcast, you believe there would be three teams with a great chance of winning the NFC. 
game. I'm guessing those three are the Eagles, the 49ers, and the Cowboys. Correct. Do you think that is one tier, or are the Cowboys a step below these two? No, I think it's one tier. I just don't think there's enough confidence necessarily in those other teams. And again, I know Eagles fans are probably like, you know, us against the world or something. They'll try to pull out this sort of thing if they're not being, you know, ranked number one above even the the Bills or the or the Chiefs. But I know I, I I think the Cowboys are right there. I think Dak Prescott is playing at a very high level. And I think that defense, while maybe it's not at like a supercharged sort of level that it was earlier this season, still has all the horses, has all the guys to get after the quarterback there. So if, if everything comes Comes together in some ways I would maybe say they have the highest potential because of having Dak at quarterback and the passing game and that defense I mean when they get rolling with that pass rush I mean Micah Parsons Sam Williams Demarcus Lawrence I mean we got Dante Fowler out there and even just having you know a former like top 10 pick a big athletic guy that's your fourth pass rusher you just tend to see them overwhelm more offensive lines than not and the passing game don't always have the volume we want but luckily it's condensing enough around CeeDee Lamb and Dalton Schultz to continue to make them every week starters by the way I don't think CeeDee is going to be fetching that Stephon Gilmore shadow if you were at all concerned about that. He did track A.J. Brown since Jeff Saturday has been there, but he did not follow Devontae Adams or one of Deontay Johnson or George Pickens. And with C.D., I mean, he spends 46% of his snaps in the slot. Gilmore has only played five total snaps as slot corner all season. Last point here is going to be this Cowboys backfield. Two straight weeks now, Tony Pollard has led the way in terms of snaps and touches. Last week, Zeke actually was better, more efficient than Pollard out there. Managed to find the end zone. I have Tony Pollard as my RB 16, Zeke as my RB 21. I think both guys should be probably started in more lineups than not. This is a Colts defense that we've seen get flamed by the you know Jaguars 243 yards, the Titans, the Eagles, and the Steelers most recently went for 172. The Steelers ran for 172 yards on these guys for crying out loud. So are you cool with Pollard and Zeke being started in most lineups? This is at this point the seventh ranked scoring offense in the NFL. Yeah, I- I'm cool with that. You just can't pick and choose which guy you would start or which one you wouldn't. And then you combine that with, even with as well as Dak's playing, ideally, if you have the lead, if you're playing from from, a, from ahead, which they should be in this game, they're still going to lean into the run. And they're still going to say, if we can get you know 30-plus carries and spread them out between the two of these guys, that would be the ideal situation for this team. So because of that, both guys are attractive. Just a low floor to your point. I mean, Zeke is averaging 4.4 receiving yards per game this year. He'd never been below 17 in previous years. Obviously going just fine for the real-life Cowboy success, though. Third place, 7-4, and four, New York football Giants home against the Washington Commanders this week. Washington is favored by 2.5 points despite being on the road. Just a 40.5-point game total. So, Daniel Jones, we've seen some ups. We've seen some downs. My God, this... This is far better than I think anyone expected, though, and especially when we put in the context the fact that they never really replaced their you know, lost tight end, Evan Ingram, and the guy they did replace him with, Daniel Bellinger. He's been missing time with an eye injury. Kadarius Toney is now hurt on the Chiefs. Sterling Shepard was starting to catch on. He suffers an unfortunate injury. Wondell Robinson is starting to catch on. He suffers an unfortunate injury. And we still got Kenny Galladay doing mannequin things out there and not living up to that contract. So, gun to your head, Kevin. Does Daniel Jones get the franchise tag? Hmm. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they're not going to draft high enough and they're going to have to make that decision beforehand. So, yeah, I think he will. I know they haven't been in the greatest cap situation in recent years, but they're going to clean the, the decks next year. So they're going to have plenty and plenty of cap space. I mean, if you figure like teams, even if they have drafted someone, they've made overly aggressive contract offers to guys like Mike Glennon in the past. So, you know, bump it up and give them the franchise tag. But I don't think that necessarily means they won't even draft someone in the first round. And the guy has improved over the years. Again, it's what not exactly. I think we could be making a lot more excuses for him uh, than people necessarily. I mean, do. if they make the playoffs, then it's really going to be tough to, to do anything otherwise. So we'll see. I mean, at least he's limiting the mistakes. This dude's had 19 fumbles and freaking 12 starts as a rookie. He only has four and 11 starts this year. So again, we're not getting ridiculous counting numbers, but over the last two weeks, at least 228, 341 passing yards. I mean, this was an offense that didn't even reach 220 passing yards in a game from weeks one through 10. And he certainly so. has excuses when it comes to surroundings. I mean, his protection's been okay, but not very good. And then, you know, the receivers are 
you know, we don't even need to get in. Darius, Darius Slayton popping. I mentioned ESPN's uh, model, a wide receiver model. Darius Slayton popping in the open score in that model. Although he, he, he was kind of low-key awful in the past, so I don't know how much to believe it. Eight touchdowns as a rookie, though, certainly didn't do too much after that. But I guess that is the only question here because, yeah, Saquon's a little bit of relative struggles for him, but we're still going back to that well every day of the week. In terms of the wide receiver room, though, it really is Darius Slayton, Richie James, and everyone else. So not going to quite – haven't had enough drinks in me to start talking myself into Richie James yet. But when we do look at Darius Slayton, since week five, which is basically when he started getting the full-time role, not perfect, but we have seen wide receiver 22, 73, 19, 35, 15, 22, and most recently, wide receiver 53 finishes. The one last week could have been far bigger. He had a chance for one deep ball, and then he got downed at the one-yard line on another one. So he's out there getting open. I mean, I think that uh, score you mentioned that ESPN is developing does seem to match the eye test with that. I guess the only problem here is, like, again, this is against a pretty solid Washington defense. And just looking at, looking at the implied team total, you can get that for every team just by taking the game totals and spreads from the matchup. Only the Rams, Saints, Colts, and Texans are implied to score fewer points than the Giants this week. So I have Darius Slayton, wide receiver 37. He's fine. Still don't feel great about starting him because there's usually not that much volume to go around. Is that fair, Kevin? Yeah, I think that's fair. Fantastic. Taking us to the team on the other sideline, a last place, but still 7-5, and five, Washington Commanders, two-and-a-half-point road favorites taylor heineke winners win kevin and that's all taylor heineke has been doing out there it really is just amazing since he comes under center i mean they've won freaking six of the last seven games at this point now best, best team in the nfl since week team. six Best team in the NFL since week six. What well, best record. Be I guess I should, say, I should say best team. Best record in the NFL. Now you look at those games, and my goodness, they have been of the one-score variety more times than not. They beat the Bears by five, Packers by two, Colts by one. They lose to the Vikings by three, knock off the Eagles in a game that obviously got you know pushed a little bit bigger than it actually was with that last-second defensive touchdown. They beat the Texans by 13, and most recently the Falcons by six. But even that game, obviously, we had the last-second interception by Mariota at the goal line so could have gone either way so well Heineke look I kind of view him like Jacoby Brissett I mean he's passed he's come past like my expectations for him and what he could do in this season so from that standpoint like okay I guess I'm wrong but has anything about this like change your mind on if Heineke can be like a legit long-term starter in the NFL because from that perspective I am out on this like if what I could wrap my mind around the Giants maybe hey, let's get Daniel Jones some more weapons here. Let's see what we have. Give him one more year. If Washington enters next season with Taylor Heineke as their starter in week one, I think that is a disaster. What say you? Yeah, no, I agree. During the same 6-1 and one streak that we're talking about here, their drop-back passing offense for uh, the Commandos has been ranked 26th out of 32 teams. So this is not Taylor Heineke leading them to these victories. I mean, maybe he has some sort of – he is the it factor or something Clutching. going on. But it, yeah, but I think it's more that the defense this season is third ranked in total success rate this season, ninth in EPA per play, especially good against the pass. And if you look at the percentile, from a percentile basis, the EPA against, like no team has had a 50th percentile or a better, so above average game of efficiency against this defense since week two. Week one, week two, the Jaguars and the Detroit Lions both over 50%. Nobody sent. So this is a defense that's on a mission right now, and they're really the story of why this team is being successful. And they've done it without Chase Young, like legit one of the biggest difference makers, you could argue, in the league on the line of scrimmage. Well, so potentially one of back. the biggest difference makers. I, we actually hadn't seen a lot from him when he's on the field, but yeah, but he has that. He, I mean, he was one of the best prospects we've ever seen coming out. It was wild. I remember his rookie year, and I think it got inflated a little bit because that was the Alex Smith year, and they made the playoffs. And, you know, when the yeah. teams make playoffs, we're going to talk about them being better. But it was this uh, – because, you know, all Ohio State, they produced Joey Bosa, then Nick Bosa, then Chase Young. But, like, the how incredible, like, Nick Bosa's rookie season was compared to what Chase Young – I think he literally doubled the amount of pressures that Chase Young had out Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was way – 100 so. times – I mean, not 100 times better, but he was, like, way, way better. So was Joey Bosa was way, way better than what they've shown in the NFL. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. Hopefully Chase Young can turn things around. 
But finally, with Heineke, again, just to put some context in what I'm saying, so you know I'm just not a complete hater. Among 38 quarterbacks with 100 dropbacks this year, he's 37th in PFF passing grade. Maybe you hate PFF, fine. 28th in passer rating, 24th in yards per attempt, 32nd adjusted completion rate, and nobody has a higher turnover-worthy play rate than Heineke. That interception he threw last week to that linebacker, like – you don't I, want Heine he was there Heine the whole time. Hive. If you want Heine yeah. Hive coming after you, you don't want that, okay? So, unfortunately, we've seen more good for Terry McLaurin than bad with Heineke under center. I'm not going to yeah. call, like, McLaurin a product of Heineke by any stretch of the freaking imagination. Yeah. There. I anyone ever said that? <laughs> My <laughs> goodness. So, you know. I think we, we, we need a PFF social. PFF social. We need to get on this. Uh, Terry McLaurin is a product of Taylor Heineke. Oh, my gosh. Qu- you know, quote, Kevin said it, not me on that one. <laughs> uh, so, yes, Terry, look, we're going to see these unfortunate busts. I mean, last week he was wide open back of the end zone for a 12-yard touchdown. Uh, Heineke pretty much threw it into the crowd. So we know what we're getting with McLaurin. He is a boomer bust wide receiver, too, through and through. How about the backfield, though? Hey, hand up, Kevin. I've come on here and said a lot of things about Brian Robinson being really bad on the field and, you know, being a great story and all that. Okay, I'm in. He's had back-to-back very good games. I mean, the touchdown last week where he catches in the flat, absolutely truck sticks a corner like that was all great. But man, on the ground is where been where things have been changing. He has over these past two weeks five explosive runs in weeks five through ten. He only had three. He's forced almost as many missed tackles over the last two weeks as he did in his first six games. Now, is this a guy that got literally shot in the leg, finally getting healthier from that? Very possibly. Whatever it is, man finally getting things going and i was wrong about him being someone that didn't deserve well, to be on the field in, in, next in all fairness Wilson. we had limited data when it came to in-season yeah. bullet wound recovery timeline <laughs> so now we're now we have some sample to work on going forward very true but man the guy goes for 125 total yards and a touchdown and then just completely hostile takeover on the big hat industry in the post-game presser <laughs> shout out to brian robinson just a fantastic uh, yeah i posted amazing. that picture with um the uh space balls you know the uh, uh darth helmet with the big <laughs> thing i could well i need done. i wanted to wear i want to get one of those hats though like for this podcast 75 bucks though it would have been a good bit a- it would have been it's like a good bit if you just show up like with un, un, unannounced you don't even say anything you're just like what you just have one of those hats on around town and, you know i'm in the area i'm in the maryland area so maybe people i mean i, I got to figure out how to get one of those hats I was about to buy one, but oh man, I'm I am technically a cowboy. How many hats fan, do you though. think that guy sold? Oh, like man. more than a thousand? Dude, that original tweet had like over a hundred thousand likes. I mean, I bet. Yeah, I bet he sold. I'd say over a thousand. I, I set the over under like twenty five hundred. Okay, how much do they cost? Did you do? Do you know? Seventy five bucks at least. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah they're Damn. up there. Yeah. 50, right. 50, you know, I might pull the trigger, but yeah, I don't know, so. yeah we'll see. Maybe Brian we can Robinson. all chip in and then like you, yeah. you have to share it with a friend. This is a hat that you, cause it's not like an everyday, you're not gonna be wearing this thing every day anyway. Right. It's only for special occasions. So, you know, you find a few friends, go in on it together. Um, you know, I don't think this is a complete takeover in the backfield, maybe the big hat industry, but not the backfield again, only <laughs> yeah, one week, so only one week removed from Antonio Gibson. But they like him. They the like way. him. So, you know, but they yeah. do like him and I will give him the slight benefit of the doubt here. I've messed my RB 28 on the week. Gibson RB 29. It's a great matchup. I mean, giants dead last in the NFL and rushing yards before contact allow per carry. We've seen Kenyon Drake, Travis Etienne, Pollard and McCaffrey all clear 100 yards with fewer than 15 carries even against his defense. Obviously, Jamal Williams only a couple of weeks ago went for three touchdowns against them. NFC North, first place, nine and two Minnesota Vikings at home against the Mike White-led New York Jets this week. Vikings favored by three, game total about 44 and a half. So one of the things that I was asking for and hoping for after the first seven or eight weeks when this team was looking really good from a wins-loss record, but not really so much when we dug a little bit deeper, was more overall passing game explosiveness because, yeah, Justin Jefferson was going nuts, but we hadn't seen a ton of big games out of Kirk Cousins. And, yeah, the Cowboys game was a debacle, but, you know, we saw that low point of the season, had the offensive line issues, various injuries going on. If we take away that, I'm not even saying take away that game because it happened and we can't just remove it. But in the other two or three games they've had, I believe since they're by, he's put up some good numbers here against the Bills and the Patriots, two pretty damn good secondaries that weren't exactly expected to be easy matchups. So another one on the way this week against the Jets, top five defense, PPR points per game, a lot of the wide receivers, PFF coverage grade, most metrics you want to pull up. Do you trust 
pass catchers not named Justin Jefferson against Sauce Gardner and company this week? No, I don't trust them, but I do think that the Kirk Cousins that we've seen for most of the season wasn't as efficient as the Cousins we had seen before that. And because their record has been so good, some would say fraudulently good, uh, so far this season, he hasn't had a need to get there with volume either. We saw a little bit of both last week. He passed for you know 8.1 yards per attempt, which is plenty good enough when you have 37 attempts. You get up to 300 yards and you get a few touchdowns in there. He's also been a heavy touchdown passer to um, as far as touchdown percentage has been concerned in his career. So I think there's like a natural base rate level that he plays at that's higher than we've seen in the past. I wouldn't say I'm confident, but I'm I'm hopeful. And like guys, you can start and think, okay, I'm probably going to get something out of them, but not highly confident. We are not expecting Sauce Gardner to shadow Justin Jefferson because he has not done that all season long. Spends the overwhelming majority of his time as the defense's right cornerback. So do not expect Sauce Gardner to be traveling with. I'm sorry. Someone left, is going to get a taunting call. Either Sauce Gardner or Jeff, Justin Jefferson. In 100%. But yes, 78% of his snaps as the left cornerback, excuse me, there haven't registered a single shadow matchup this season. So maybe a few high leverage snaps here or there, but don't expect him to be an every down thing. Yeah, with uh, Adam Thielen probably not a game that we should be expecting him to replicate his efforts from last week because they probably won't need to be pushed to that sort of pass game volume again. We are feeling good about TJ Hawkinson, the tight end five, seven, 11 and tight end six finishes since joining up with the Vikings. So great stuff from him. The other question is Dalvin cook. And I guess this is one of those things where when we talked about him a little bit earlier in the season, Kevin about the issues in the passing game and how this wasn't really the same role. And I think immediately after we talked about that, he had a couple of Dalvin cook games and, Made us look awfully stupid, but as the sample size has expanded, I mean, he is only the RB12 in expected PPR points per game and the RB14 in real PPR points per game. So when you look at him, again, it's he's disappointing relative to his past, you know, top three upside standards, but he's not disappointing relative to the workload he's getting this year. And it all comes back to the career low 3.5 targets per game that accordingly has him at a career low 14 and a half receiving yards per game. So not quite as severe as Zeke, but when we've seen these duds over the past two weeks, like, yeah, that's what happens when you don't have the same sort of receiving floor that we had in the past. So Dalvin Cook's my RB13. I really hope that you don't have a fantasy lineup where you can warrant benching the guy. But for the first time, Kevin, like, it's possible, I guess, if you got a late-round Ramondre Stevenson and you happen to load up, you know, you got Kenneth Walker, Ramondre Stevenson, like an Austin Eckler. I'm, I'm sitting Dalvin Cook on the bench. It's not the absolute no doubt must start role that it used to be. Yeah, I agree. And you mentioned TJ Hawkinson earlier. I mean, if there is anyone who would maybe be a cannibalization of targets for a running back, it might be the tight end. Let's face it for all of our hopes and dreams in the past about uh, Vikings tight ends, in particular, Irv Smith, it, it just was not happening. It was not happening. And now it's happening. And when that happens in this sort of offense and you have Hawkinson, I mean, let's look at the last few weeks, six, nine, 11, nine targets since he's been there. There's just not going to be enough to go around once you mix in Jefferson and Thielen. And again, offensively, if you're an offense who likes scoring points, I'm going to like to throw it to guys a little bit further down the field than running backs anyway. Irv Smith, you know, Chris Herndon, Kyle Rudolph, just a rich history of really talented uh, tight ends with the Vikings. It's good to finally see Hawkinson get some numbers going there. Hey, people I, love Irv Smith. People love yeah. Irv Smith. Come on. People have been calling. He's been like one of the most popular offseason breakout candidates for three years running. He got injured, Kevin. All right. He got injured. That's all it is. Yeah. And he was tearing it up before that, but go ahead. Everything was going fine before that. It was all part of the process. Then he got injured. All right. Moving on. Oh, he's wait. still only like 21 years old or something. I think if you check, <laughs> he gets younger every year too. So that there's always more hope for him. Next up, we have our second place trying to restore the roar. Detroit Lions sitting at four and seven home against the Jaguars. Jags are one and a half point road favorites game total at 51 and a half. It doesn't look like we're getting Jamison Williams back this week, but he's getting close. He has had his practice window uh, opened. Lions head coach Dan Campbell said, though, that it would be a tall order, but anything's open for him to get back on Sunday. So the way we've seen the Lions kind of react with these injuries, I mean, DJ Chark came back. He was very limited in his first game. Now they're ramping him up. Josh Reynolds just came back and he was working behind the guys last week. So from a fantasy perspective, Jameson Williams, even when he comes back, we're going to see at least one, if not two games before we can even think about putting him into a you know season-long lineup with any level of confidence, especially 
in the fantasy playoffs. But the question here could be, Kevin, Jared Goff finally getting these weapons back. Again, Chark, Reynolds, now maybe Jamison Williams. This offense is starting to look more so like the offense that was ranked number one in scoring after five weeks. Again, this game against the Jaguars sure looks like it could be a potential shootout. Jared Goff, someone that you think could surprise down the stretch as one of the, you know, top 10, top 12 quarterbacks? Because once again, when you start going through the quarterback landscape, you, you're always going to have your kind of top eight guys that it's going to be tough to move them. You know, Allen, Hurts, Mahomes, Herbert, Tua, Burrow, Lamar, Deshaun Watson. I'm not really expecting Goff to break into that group by any stretch of the imagination. But once you start looking at it, like Geno Smith, Tom Brady, even Trevor Lawrence, Dak Prescott, I don't think it'd be the wildest thing down the stretch of Goff manages to outscore them now that he's getting his healthy parts back. Yeah, I think there's some chance of that. I think it's more the fact that all of these options will be back is going to be an efficiency boost for Goff, but you're not necessarily going to get the 37 pass attempts that we saw last week going against the Bills. I mean, they still want to run the ball. Dan Campbell wants to run the ball, and that's going to be a little bit of a cap on what Goff can produce from a fantasy perspective because he's not going to give you the stuff on the ground. And when it comes to Jamison Williams, I think there's just too many dudes, quite honestly. Like, not that Khalif Raymond is anything that's that important, but DJ Chark there, Amon Ross St. Brown sucking up so many targets there. Raymond's at least a decent player. Yeah, I think they'll ease him back in, Jamison, for a situational type of role. Got to take the top off the defenses. Probably not going to see a lot from a fantasy perspective uh, for him. But, yeah, I'm excited about this game. I mean, you mentioned a 50-plus total here. Um, It's not necessarily going to be marquee on – you're probably not going to have the number one broadcasting crew to watch this sort – to call this sort of game, but I'm going to be interested to see it. You mentioned the sun god. Last 14 games not impacted by injury. He has caught 10, 8, 8, 9, 8, 8, 8, 9, 6, 7, 4, 10, 7. Most recently, nine balls in all of those games. So Kings State Kings and Amon Ra have been looking awfully royal lately. Only other topic here is the backfield. Hey, DeAndre Swift finally surpassed Justin Jackson on the usage chart. That said, Jackson is not going anywhere. So unfortunately, we have a situation where Jamal Williams has pretty much no pass game usage and he can't even play 50% of the snaps because they're insisting on keeping three running backs involved. This was not the case early on in the season. This was supposed to be Jamal and DeAndre Swift, but you got to keep Justin Jackson and or Craig Reynolds who's on IR involved when possible, I guess. So Swift, could have, should have, would have scored you know, multiple times last week. He did score from nine yards out, and they said he was down at the two. They tried to throw him a pick play. That ball went long. He had another just short. And then almost later in the game, had an 11-yard touchdown catch, but just couldn't quite contort his body and come down with the ball. So I don't trust DeAndre Swift still, Kevin. I mean, this usage still isn't good. Okay, he passed Justin Jackson. The man still only played a third of the offensive snaps. Five carries and seven targets is a step in the right direction. I still struggle to rank him higher and get him into the top 30. He's my RB31 on the week. I would start the Washington running backs ahead of him, and I think a better matchup, I would start Latavius Murray. Even someone like Cordero Patterson and Gus Edwards, I think warrant fantasy consideration over DeAndre Swift. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, you say he's passed him one carry and three more (laughs) routes is is what we're talking about right now. It's really by a nose, and who knows? That could fade back there. They're pretty much equivalent at this point in the second tier of that three-man backfield. Third place, four and eight Green Bay Packers this week. They are at the Bears. Green Bay favored by four and a half. Game total of 43 and a half. You got anything to say, Kevin? I mean, you know, I got the dub. It's over. (laughs) Yeah, that was that was a little bit too easy. But the, uh, again, the trend the trend is still my friend here. We've gone from seventy five percent touchdown rate per catches to fifty. Now down to twenty five. If we can get negative, is there any way for touchdowns to be taken off of the board? Like it's safeties. If he gets safety, do I get do I get one back? We need to figure out some way to work this out. I was going to try to throw a caveat that they had to be. Aaron Rodgers touchdowns, <laughs> but I don't think I actually specified that as part of the agreement. But I did in my head and in my heart. He has gone now. Last three weeks, four catches, 107 yards, three touchdowns. Then we made the bet over under two and a half the rest of the way, and he has managed to clear that just two weeks later. That that said, Kevin, eight, six, and six targets in those games. So 
it's scary at this point ranking him too high because you're kind of banking on him making the most out of six to eight targets. That said, the man keeps on keeping on. And this matchup against the Bears, I mean, our fifth lowest graded defense in terms of PFF coverage grade. We know Aaron Rodgers is going to be back out there. He and Matt LaFleur have already confirmed that. So, Man, he's been great this year. Now tied with Chris Olave in terms of yards per route run. The only guys more efficient on a per route basis, minimum 25 targets, Hopkins, CeeDee Lamb, Sun God, Jalen Waddle, Stephon Diggs, Justin Jefferson, and Tyree Kill. So Christian Watson, I have him ranked as my wide receiver 17. That feels a little high. He's ahead of guys that I do think have more volume, but my God, yeah, that feels Watson keeps high. making the most out of it. Okay, it feels a little high, although he gave me um, a player who we mentioned on the pod a couple of weeks ago as a new member of the Las Vegas Vipers. He gave me some Martavis Bryant feels Ooh. on that long touchdown, just able to run past everyone and get into the end zone. So who knows? He's He's got the upside. Watson versus Garrett Wilson, or should they be like right next to each other probably? I mean, I'm taking Wilson over, over, over Watson. That's not a bad spot. Would you take Watson over guys like Gabriel Davis, Devontae Smith, Brandon Ayuk? Um, it's 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 I put him in the same tier as those guys. Okay. So I, I might be a little bit overzealous here. Maybe, you know, I'm I'm probably doing a thing too, Kevin, where I let's see, last second, last Sunday morning, I know I put Juju in ahead of Watson in a certain lineup. Whenever, whenever you move the guy to the bench on Sunday, then they proceed to go off, you know, you certainly get some of that uh, you know, issues where you gotta avoid, you know making a future decision based on the past mistake. Don't want to fall victim to that sunk cost fallacy, of course. So I will probably be adjusting the rankings just a little bit, but that's why I like having you on here, Kevin. You keep me honest here when I get a little bit over. Is there any chance that uh, Romeo Dobbs is playing this week? Probably not, right? I, I think so. I saw a tweet earlier saying he got back to practice. Oh, he so did? Okay. Potentially. Okay. So high we'll ankle see what sprain. I hate, I, hate, I hate, like, even first week back from a high ankle sprain. I don't know if it's anything to trust, but he could complicate things for Watson a little bit, too. Could be, will be some Jordan Love could complicate things. <laughs> also, going forward, I know he got the touchdown last week yeah. and everything else, but still. So with Rodgers now, him and Lafleur have basically been saying, you know, as long as they are in it and he's healthy and they are trying to make the playoffs, he's going to be out there. Obviously, that said, this team is four and eight. They get a bye in Week 14. So after these next two weeks, they have four potential games between Weeks 15 and 18. Over under two and a half starts for Rodgers down that stretch. I think I'll take under. Um, yeah, I don't agree with people who are saying they should have already benched Rodgers or they should bench him now. I mean, guy has a four-time MVP, top probably six, seven quarterback of all time. I know you had the greatest playoff success there, buddy. You know, he's got a championship there. If he wants to play, broken thumb or not, they're not eliminated. I think you do the courtesy to Aaron Rodgers and you say, we're going to play him because you're probably not going to be better with Jordan Love. And I don't know, Jordan Love's been there long enough for me where I don't think they're very high on him as an organization also. Uh, I know maybe he could super surprise down the stretch, but I, I think it's it, give him a few starts at the end of the season. You don't need to do some sort of hostile takeover of Aaron Rodgers. That just seems like bad business to me. Christian Watson, low end wide receiver too. Aaron Jones. I mean, you can rank him in the top 10 if you want. He, this is a smash spot this week, eight touchdowns in his last six games against the bears. The bears have allowed 49, 35, 31, 27 and 31 points in their last five games. So Rogers, he's been very clear over the years that he does in fact own the bears. Aaron Jones could be making that same statement out there. So Alan Lazard, you know, Robert, not really Robert Tony, but Alan Lazard, I guess you can get behind as more of a, you know, borderline wide receiver three. If you're into that kind of thing, you think Rogers needs to bring back the, discount double check is that is that retired is, is he doing that yeah. anymore or not well i mean look I, I understand he had probably his worst game of the season two weeks ago and that was the primetime thursday night game that everyone was watching but he looked damn good against the eagles before suffering I mean, that that's injury. what i think i put this thing out there also as part of my argument for rogers is saying he's not in physical decline and some someone replied back to me of course he's in physical decline every i'm like okay i get it we're all gonna die someday <laughs> right i get it but it's not like peyton manning 2015 or something like that no. No, no, not even close. Here. And he also is playing with a freaking fractured right thumb. It's the same yeah, thing with yeah. Herbert where, you know, we recognize the injury when it happens. And I mean, this has been impacting him the entire season. I remember when like week three, week four, I think was probably the first time he started missing that Wednesday practice as he has most of the season. And when they were playing Washington, we're talking about the king, the probably the all-time king of Hail Marys right here with all due respect to the OG Roger Staubach, you know, inventing the damn thing. But like they didn't even throw the Hail Mary against Washington back in uh, week six or whatever 
because they don't even trust that, I guess, thumb enough. So Aaron Rodgers playing through the pain. I'm sure, you know, personal opinions are uh, making it a lot easier to slam dunk on the guy out here. But yeah, I do not think we've seen at all from him or Brady, for that matter, uh, anything close to the 2015 Peyton or even 2020 Drew Brees noodle arm. Last place, three and nine Chicago Bears again facing the Packers. They are going to be at home in Chicago, but Green Bay favored by four and a half. Nevertheless, game total at 43 and a half. So here's my thing. If Justin Fields finds a way to tough this out, play through the pain of a dislocated left shoulder, can we actually expect him to play well? Because let's face it, there's been no passing upside in this offense all season long. Fields has been flirting with some elevated touchdown rates throwing the ball even when he was going bonkers there over that four or five week stretch. But even then, because of the volume involved and because of the pass catchers he's throwing to, we were fully relying on Justin Fields' rushing ability and a lot of that coming from straight-up design runs. I mean, this certainly seems like a pain management type of issue. And, you know, as someone who I said, I mean, worst, worst injury I ever had, I'm sure it wasn't even as bad as Fields, but I had a grade one separated shoulder and like that – when the doctor explained it to me, man, like at least for mine, it was like, all right, you might, might pop out again. And it didn't that fucking killed, but it was like, you can't further injure yourself here. Cause it was separated. His got dislocated, I believe. And that could lead to more complications at a minimum. If it's a pain tolerance thing, it's an incredibly painful injury for a guy that has been making his living running the ball rib and shoulder injuries. Usually for running backs are the ones that I get kind of concerned about having their effectiveness. And I'm not calling fields or running back, but let's, face it he runs as well as one can we normalize like calling a quarterback sometimes like a why is that an insult man like justin fields lamar jackson hurts yeah they run as well as a running back and obviously they can throw the ball as well but basically if justin fields plays this week kevin where would you rank him because i'm very hesitant about just throwing him back in the top five knowing how potentially painful and serious this injury is yeah i don't know it reminds me of maybe even a more extreme version of 2020 Kyler Murray, who was so reliant upon rushing touchdowns in particular, but also big plays in the first half of the season. Uh, He got injured against the Seattle Seahawks. And then the rest of the season, he had one big fantasy game where he threw for 406 yards and three touchdowns. But other than that, he only got one more rushing touchdown the rest of the season. He was only going somewhere between two and five attempts for the rest of the season because of the injury. And I think we could see something similar here. The difference being is like Justin Fields can't, they can't pass the ball. They, they don't have a passing offense, really. So maybe he'll be forced to run. And then uh, with the pain tolerance, I don't know. Maybe he'll grit through it and he'll do it there. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's got kind of an ugly situation. And I feel bad for Fields because he's had this stretch. But has he played well enough to really convince a Bears front office, which didn't seem to be extremely high on him. At least they didn't put him in a great position to succeed this season if he's not able to play and be successful going forward. So I don't know. It's a tough spot. I mean, it's another one of these situations where we've talked about this, like, you know, Green Bay, the Giants, like wide receiver rooms that we already didn't like. And then when the guys get injured, like, what do you expect to happen? The backups to be better. And now without Darnell Mooney in the picture for the rest of the season, Chase Claypool, wide receiver one, but I couldn't even get him in my top 40 wide receivers because there just isn't any volume in this passing game. Bears, Falcons, Titans, and Ravens, the only four offenses in the league with fewer than 150 total targets this season. So when you're thinking about Claypool, again, Again, like just think about the Falcons, Titans, and Ravens. Are we lining up to, you know, fire up any of those wide receivers? Absolutely not. I don't think his ceiling is higher than, you know, a mid-tier wide receiver three, if that the rest of the way. Really, Dave Montgomery is the only player in this offense that we can get behind him. That dude just gets slandered too much, man. Like, what does Dave Montgomery need to do? He breaks tackles all the damn time. No, he's not ripping off 80-yard touchdowns every other week. What running back is exactly, man? Every time I watch... He needs to be Josh Jacobs. He needs to be Josh Jacobs and then that there could finally be some respect. He's in that same bucket. Every single week, though, Montgomery is having at least one run where he breaks like three damn tackles on the play. And like these are legit earned, man. He had this play. I was like the second last play the Bears had last week. They're already down 21 points, sure. But literally, man, just the things, the tackles he's able to break, you know, efficiently as well. Pretty impressive. Maybe we do get Khalil Herbert back at some point. But Montgomery, as long as Herbert does stay out, is going to be a volume-based RB2. Moving on to the NFC South, we have somehow first place Buccaneers sitting at five and six this week, taking on the Saints. Tampa Bay favored by four points, game total of 40 and a half. 
Hide your kids. Hide your wife. Mike Evans versus Marshawn Lattimore again. Hopefully, Lattimore has not been playing for a while with an abdomen issue, but he did return to practice last week. And man, if you're gonna play against the pain, it's got to be against your rival, right? And man, you start looking at the history here, Kevin, and a lot of these have been straight up shadow matchups between Lattimore and Evans. And we had the one boom Ryan Fitzpatrick under center when he came out like a bat out of hell that one year, and Evans went for a buck forty-seven and a touchdown in week one other than that though 10 additional career matchups mike evans has three touchdowns he has surpassed 65 yards one time if there is ever you know a matchup a specific one-on-one matchup to really downgrade a wide receiver man i think it's this one not only because of the history of the lack of success but especially even since tom brady has been there they just haven't gone out of their way to even test this matchup when you have chris goblin and other guys i know it makes it easier to do that but Seriously, man, Lattimore, he's, I mean, again, if he's not, if he's not Mike Evans kryptonite, I don't know who else is. I mean, he's pissed him off enough to start basically three fights over the years. The last one got him ejected. So overall thoughts on Mike Evans in this one. I mean, Chris Godwin obviously now needs to be ranked as the number one Buccaneers receiver. He's got at least six catches in every single game since coming back in week four. I have Chris Godwin as my wide receiver at 11. I have Evans as my wide, I, I put Evans as my wide receiver 20 before digging a a little deeper but when it's like mike evans versus a garrett wilson versus a christian watson i'm i'm almost inclined to take the rookies here yeah i'm not sure if i'm quite going that far at this point but it was a clunky game for him last week i mean he had nine targets against the browns but yet they couldn't end up producing anything a lot of air yards uh maybe some prayer yards if you if you want to say as part of it there's a lot of one-on-one stuff down the sideline so i don't know if they'll stay away from that type of stuff when it comes to marshawn Lattimore, and maybe you should be concerned about that but yeah i think it's also partially at least the emergence of godwin and then this offense just fell asleep in the second half um we'll see what happens so i agree it's a little bit concerning for evans i still just like him because of his touchdown potential and the fact that the guy is really really that good i think brady missed him a handful of times last week that at least would have made his number look a lot better he was open a few times and maybe we do get the personal side of things where, you know, Evans, the reason why he clocked Lattimore last time was because, uh, you know, Lattimore did go over and touch Tom Brady. Lattimore just, he keeps he touching. He didn't need much of a reason. <laughs> he did not need much. He did not really need any reason to do Bro, that. Like, there's like, what happened? What happened? Yeah. There, there, there are fights, but like it's Lattimore worrying about something else. And Evans coming yeah. out of absolutely nowhere just to freaking level the dude half the time. So you mentioned those air yards, though. Yeah, 130 unrealized air yards for Mike Evans last week. Week. I mean, that was 44 more than second place, David. Sometimes Joker. he was like back shoulders that he wasn't going to be able to catch anyway, but he was legitimately open and had a step on some big passes that Brady just straight up missed him. He sure did. Final note, when we talked on this podcast about Rashad White potentially being the most valuable handcuff in fantasy football, it was for the workload that we saw in week 12. 91% snaps, 14 carries, and nine targets. I mean, he didn't even score a touchdown, but he still had a top 10 finish because he caught nine freaking passes because that's how Tom Brady plays. We've seen it with James White, whoever else over the years. That's why Leonard Fournette, when he was playing this year, couldn't do a thing on the ground, still putting up big-time numbers because we want all those targets so i'm still not completely convinced that white is going to keep this job moving forward or if he does keep it it's not going to be to this extent i don't think he becomes a must-start player if leonard fournette is going to be suiting up this week but as long as fournette's out start rashad white no matter what Five and seven, second place, Atlanta Falcons. This week, they're home against the Steelers. It is a pick em game total at 42. So you got any thoughts on Arthur Smith? Because I'm just, you know, tired of this offense at this point. I defended him the first seven, eight weeks of the season, even though I didn't want to because he wasn't helping us or with fantasy. But I realized that his job is to score real-life points, and they were doing a really good job of that for the first, again, six weeks of the season. But since then, they've scored 17 Okay, 37 points against the Panthers and 17, 15, 27 against the Bears, most recently 13 against Washington. So, you know, we haven't seen this extended four-week stretch of absolutely nothing, but man, Mariota, he's not it. We can't get Drake London even five targets per game. He's finished with five or fewer targets in five of his last seven games. Cordero Patterson is pretty much splitting work with Tyler Algier right down the middle. Do you have anything nice to say about Atlanta? Because I have nothing. Um, 
Uh, Michael Pruitt put up two catches, nine yards, and a touchdown, which we call for for uh, Kyle Pitts. Kyle, anyone, Kyle Pitts managers, we call that a ceiling game, basically. Where, <laughs> so that's what we call that. Where do you so, think uh, Pitts' ADP is next year? That's a good question. Uh, people are just gonna gonna draft him in like the sixth round or something like that. Still hoping, still hoping that he's gonna do something. Um, yeah, I mean Arthur Smith stinks. He's like he's just a crotchety. He's like a crotchety old man. He's not even that old. He's just uh, he's maybe he's hanging around Dean Pease too long. That's another crotchety old guy. Doesn't want to throw the ball to to Drake London. Doesn't want to bring in Desmond Ritter. Doesn't want to do anything. Um, I don't know, but whatever. I'm done. You said before, like Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, top two receivers. Don't you think there's a little, and I think Mike Renner's comp for Chris Olave was Calvin Ridley. Like I thought coming out, Olave was lauded as the most kind of pro ready uh, wide receiver to come in and be able to immediately contribute in terms of ceiling, like what wide receivers can do everything. I still think Drake London, you could argue has that higher best case ceiling than Chris Olave. Everything he's done out there this year. I know he hasn't had the volume, but nobody has the volume in this offense. They run the ball more than any damn offense since the 2009 Rex Ryan that led New York. I have Jets. to say, uh, I, I have nothing personally against Drake London, but I'm kind of glad that he's not breaking out because um, it would have far exceeded my threshold of people doing the like derp derp. I thought Drake London couldn't separate <laughs> tweets and I would have gone completely insane. So that's the upside to, to, to Arthur Smith. Thank you for that. Thank you for that, Arthur Smith. You saved me from that. The one good thing we got going on there. Okay, enough about the Falcons. Let's talk about the last place now. Four and eight New Orleans Saints. Again, they're in Tampa this week. They have had Tom Brady's number, at least in the regular season over the years. Buccaneers are favored by four points. Nevertheless, in game total at 40 and a half. So, Kevin... We are employed by the fine folks at Pro Football Focus. We are not personally, at least I'm not, you know, I've never contributed to our grading process, but I still maintain they are a valuable piece of the puzzle. And that's why whenever I talk about quarterback performance, one of the stats I always bring up is PFF passing grade. I also include passer rating, also EPA per play, also adjusted completion rate, CPOE, all these things. They're one piece of the puzzle. That said, when we do see Andy Dalton, and we're getting called out on him being our fifth highest graded passer of the season, it is, I can see why people are kind of like, what the hell, when that piece of information comes up. Now, I think with any of these stats, when we look at yards per attempt, how the hell is Jimmy G leading the league year after year? I know you probably have specific thoughts about that, but you know what I'm saying? Every My point is, every single one of these stats, they're usually all are in the top five or six one of those players where it's like the clown like the bunch of the you know military guys and there's a clown standing there a lot of stats do have that clown sticking out and i think it's pretty easy to tell that andy dalton is that clown in pff's passing grade statistic but do you have thoughts on him being ranked fifth because we have seen a lot of good from dalton and maybe it is also a matter of he doesn't try to do the boneheaded big time not necessarily boneheaded maybe he's not trying to make as much flashy downfield throws that could be twisted as tumor worthy type plays thoughts on Dalton being PFF's fifth highest graded passer this year. I mean, I think it's a combination of the fact that he has a pretty nice connection going with Olave and some of the other receivers there. It seems like that offense fits him pretty well playing in the dome, et cetera there. It's also the fact that he still, he hasn't played the whole season. So he's been pretty good. You know, the longer he plays probably the more likely he would to fade off. Remember the vaunted, 2013 and no 2015 Andy Dalton season where he actually had a really good year that season. I had him on quite a few of my fantasy teams. Yep. He got injured down the stretch though, unfortunately. Um, so I think that's part of it. I have my quarterback rankings that I come up with where I try to do a sample size adjustment, combining grading and uh, EPA per play. And then Dalton is basically tied for 11th with Trevor Lawrence right now, but I only have him as eighth, even in grading because of the fact that he has that lower sample size. So, you know, it, everything is a tool that you're using. He has been, I think better this yeah. year than that record. Yeah. He's was been definitely better than anyone would have expected. He was yeah, like, to be. If you just, and, yeah. If you haven't watched Saints games, yeah, it's Andy Dalton. I get it. But yeah, th he's averaging his most yards per attempt since 2016, completing a career high 66%. A lot of guys of are not passes. good this year, too. That's yeah. another th factor. Quarterback play has been down across the board. It's getting a little bit better for some guys, but we don't just ignore how badly some quarterbacks were struggling the first few weeks of the season in the season-long numbers.
fourth lowest turnover worthy play rate, ninth lowest, you know, sacks per dropback rate. He's had some good things going. Yes, we've had some lows. I saw the, you know, the one viral play is him trying to throw a screen where the ball was kind of bobbling in his hands before he got it out there. How about the freaking touchdown that Taysom Hill drops? Because, oh yeah, Andy Dalton, one of his receivers on any given play basis is whatever the hell Taysom Hill is. And oh yeah, we also had a ball hit Jawan Johnson in the face mask to the point that I'm almost surprised the face mask didn't make the catch in its own right. And then we also got Alvin Kamara fumbling on uh, the one. You're really line, invested so. in, in Andy Dalton. I like it. Too. Well, again, it's one of those things where I agree. Fifth is egregious. Like, I, I don't agree with that. People and, just yeah. want to complain about something. Let's face it. It's okay. That's, We're giving them stuff to complain about. You're welcome. You're welcome. So, all right. I think that's enough. I think everyone's gotten their Andy Dalton enough, Phil, from that little uh, tirade right there. So, yeah. And then there's another play that I was <laughs> Chris Olave, Alvin Kamara, and that is all. Folks, want to give a quick few shout-outs to our lovely sponsors before we finish things off with the NFC South. First and foremost, I want to let you all know that the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern. Western and Southern is one of my favorite groups out there if you're looking for financial help. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps advance your money moves, buying your first home, plan to start a family, Wondering how to make your money grow? Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Shout out Underdog Fantasy. Even though Best Ball Mania has ended, Underdog Fantasy is still the easiest and most fun way to spice up your football season with their pick'em game. Just look for your favorite or least favorite player's stats. Pick whether you think they'll end up with a higher or lower total than that number in this week's game. You can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Pick between two and five players for your pick'em entry. Get all your picks right, and you'll take home some cold, hard cash. It's simple to get started. Just head on over to underdogfantasy.com or download the app Sign up a promo code PFF and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's Underdog Fantasy promo code PFF. Get in on the action today. Also, just want to give a quick shout out to the NFL news crew over at Underdog. I mean, this isn't on my ad sheet, so don't don't think this is a paid uh, sponsorship. But if you guys want to give me extra money, you know, I'll always take that. But yeah, no, just uh, in terms of, you know, my day to day, I am not always tuned in to Twitter because I have notifications on from the crew over at Underdog Fantasy led by, you know, a longtime friend of mine, Justin Fan and former uh, PFF or Sosa himself at QB's MVP. Always a great follow. So, yeah, just truly, again, all the fantasy relevant intro practice statuses injury reports so much more from the fine folks over at underdog nfl i know it can be tough to get your news sometimes you're getting them spamming a bunch of bs sometimes you're not getting any actionable information guys over underdog nfl always do a great job so thank you underdog nfl news crew for your service i know how much of a grind that is getting through the season many of us out there including myself appreciate your contributions whoa kevin you want to let the people know what we just found out (laughs) <laughs> unfortunately i do actually have something here because uh i didn't find that much although i did oh. find something on the eagles on the eagles um we didn't even mention the re- who's is this a revenge game then for um for for aj brown against the titans is that being yeah. factored into our calculations because he did kind of get traded to a better team and get a huge contract so like do you want to extract revenge there are you still smited a little bit by the fact that they took him away, that they sent him away. So I'm working on that. I'm working on the revenge game ness of that. Revenge game king will always be Deshaun Jackson. Some of the things he did against his former teams out there, always fun to see. I wouldn't be surprised if AJP has a slightly bigger chip on his shoulder, but man, that guy's always ready to go. There we go. Regardless. Revenge game. NFC West, first place, 7-4, and four, San Francisco 49ers this week. They are home, one of the best games of the week against the Dolphins. 49ers are favored by four, game total 46.5. So this backfield, this offense, let's talk about the offense first. 13 points against the Saints. They look like they were absolutely rolling over these previous few weeks. Got Debo, Kittle, Ayuk, CMC, Elijah Mitchell, weapons all over the place. Just 13 points. Any cause for concern, Kevin, or just a matter of, hey, any NFL offense isn't going to freaking, you know, bat 1,000 over the course of an entire season. This was just a dud, and they won't anyway, so who really cares? Yeah, I think it was just a dud. I think it was one of those games where they had a little bit of difficulty keeping things going on third down. They definitely were not 
like rushing the ball that efficiently in this game. They had a lot of attempts, 29 attempts, but only 96 yards. So that was part of it. I don't think it's a big concern. I don't think it's a big concern here and they'll be ready to bounce back. Bigger question is what to potentially make of Christian McCaffrey's workload moving forward. Coach Kyle Shanahan said on Monday, McCaffrey was day-to-day with near irrita- knee irritation, did not practice on Wednesday. We do have Elijah Mitchell on the IR once again with a sprained MCL. We have multiple parties in this backfield in their absence. Jordan Jordan Mason, uh, Tyrion Davis-Price, and longtime Shanahan BFF, Tevin Coleman still potentially waiting in the wings. So I guess the question, Kevin, and – I feel like it's just a little bit of a moot point because, again, if McCaffrey's out there, we're starting him. If you want to rank him as RB9 instead of RB1, like, go ahead. But you're still starting a guy no matter what. Do you think that this near irritation, knee irritation could continue to be an issue that holds back his workload even without Elijah Mitchell in the pitch, in the picture now? Yeah, I, I think it it could be, and I think it it should be. Honestly, yeah. like you have you drafted a dude in the third round. We're talking about <laughs> TDP, like. Supposedly, they said Shanahan was talking him up. I don't even know what that means. That means you know they could cut him like next week or something if that's if that's potentially happening. So, um, yeah, I think they should use him. I think they should use Mason. Like I think those guys are probably perfectly sufficient to run the ball on obvious run uh, down and distance situations, and then continue to use McCaffrey where he's going to take fewer hits. God, Shanahan just year after year, it's that meme from Arrested Development where it's like, does this ever work? And it's like, no, 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 of course not. But maybe for us, maybe for us, it actually could out here. But yeah, duds all around last week. That's what happens in a crowded offense. And they're still all really good players. So Debo Samuel, unfortunately, probably more of a wide receiver too at this point. I mean, he's just, he's still getting eight combined targets and carries. And I believe every single game this season, but he's playing through the pain too with that hamstring injury, continuing to see him listed seems like once or twice a game he's on the sideline getting it worked on just uh, hey Brandon Ayuk George Kittle I wish all these guys could be somewhere where they were getting 10 targets a week just not the case right now in San Francisco but certainly helping Jimmy G put up some numbers more weeks than not talk about the second place Seattle Seahawks at six and five they are in Los Angeles taking on the Rams this week Seahawks are favored by seven and a half and that could be on the up and up Matthew Stafford has already been ruled out with the concussion Aaron Donald has been ruled out with an ankle injury my god this Rams team is a disaster at this point with the Seahawks do you think Kevin we talked about Daniel Jones Taylor Heineke some of these other guys and like if they could if they should and if they will get the chance to lead the squad in 2023 Geno Smith you said earlier in this podcast he's living in the matrix has he been living in the matrix enough to be the Seahawks QB1 in 2023 can he hold off Drew Locke for another season yeah I mean I think he will be they have too good of a record he's played too well uh, for them not to make him that guy. So, yeah, I think he's probably going to come back. They'll figure out some sort of contract where it's probably multiple seasons giving the Seahawks some sort of maybe a cost control season if he does well beyond this year. You know, one where you like throw a guarantee on there where it's like next year's salary plus a little bit of extra. And then for that, you get a second year at a potential discount for the Seahawks. So I think that's what they're going to do there. Um, and that'll be the game plan for them. So, hey, he's he's earned it. You think the Rams make up an injury for Jalen Ramsey before or after Sunday? <laughs> you know, I was going. Did you see when he got roasted by Travis Kelsey on that first touchdown? I don't oh, know if yeah. he played bad after that, but I told you this is over. They're already in. You know, one. Uh, you know, in the NBA, they have the whole thing where you're like one, two, three, Cancun. When they're already <laughs> doing that, they're they're already doing that with the Rams right now on the season has allowed six receiving touchdowns in his direct coverage. Xavier Howard also has AJ Terrell still, unfortunately leads the league in that with seven. The thing is AJ Terrell this season, unlike last season, he's been following number ones around, or at least he was before his injury as has Xavier Howard the entire year. Ramsey only has a Hopkins. So I'm usually more akin to, you know, give, credit to guys like Terrell, like Xavier Howard, who are traveling with the number one. Someone like Ramsey, I know they still move them all around the field, and it's not like he's having complete scrubs consistently score touchdowns on him. I mean, it was still Chris Olave the week before. That said, really not a good year for Jalen Ramsey, and because of that, like you just should not be sweating this matchup with DK Metcalf. He did not shadow Metcalf in any of the three appearances last year, and guess what? It really didn't matter in those, because in those games, again, it's just one of those things with the shadow matchup 
matchups that we continue to make a bit more out of them than we probably need to because the matchups don't happen all the time. And when you have a stud like Metcalf, you start your studs. In those three games, he scored four freaking touchdowns and went over 90 yards on two separate occasions. So hey, Metcalf. Four, 14 routes run for Tutu Atwell. last week so we're not in the rams yet we're not (laughs) what are you doing sorry sorry go ahead let me finish seahawks you're good metcalf lockett loving it and kenneth walker man if he's not going to boom versus an aaron donald less defense i don't know when he will so fantastic spot there nick chubb versus the texans kenneth walker here against the aaron donald less rams and aaron jones against a bears defense that he is absolutely owned over the years those are my three eruption calls of the week Cardinals on a buy, sitting at four and eight. Did look good before their buy, so that was nice to see. We'll talk about them more next week. So now, Kevin, you can say whatever the hell you All want. All right, I thought we were going straight into Tutu Rams here. Atwell. 14 routes for Tutu Atwell. Does anyone know? Like, come on. We, we need to, the, the two, Tutu, how many yards per route run are we talking about here for him? Four routes per four yards per route run. He's leading. He's leading. The, he's leading the NFL in yards per route run. Let's, let's let's get the guy the ball. What more does he need? To, I mean, why are we not finding out at some point? I just don't. They drafted him with his fifty seventh overall pick in. Allen Robinson, Cooper Cup are out of here. Just throw the ball to Tutu out. Well, yeah, sad, sad state here. Just talked about the Seahawks side of things. Kyron Williams, late season upside, seventy percent snaps. There's nothing to talk about week. here. This, I mean, they, this is sad. This might be there might be like legitimately less to talk about with this Rams from a fantasy perspective than any offense in the NFL without Matthew Stafford. I think. I think we need to talk about Kyron just for a second because oh, what if if Akers gets shut down. He could have so much volume that we have to play the guy. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, any, anything's possible, I guess. Um, Weeks 13 yeah. through 17, Seahawks, Raiders, Packers, Broncos, and Chargers. I know it's the freaking Rams, so those good matchups might not matter. I don't uh, know. I just feel like if Bryce Perkins is playing, he's probably going to be like the team's leading rusher in games where they're actually successful, so it's tough. Okay. I felt like I had to give him a chance, but yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I like that. You know, absolutely enough for the Rams. And that's going to be absolutely enough with this edition of the PFF <laughs> fantasy football podcast. Kevin, you're the host over at the unexpected points podcast, three episodes per week. Also consistently have great DFS showdown and quarterback rankings content on PFF.com. Anything else you want to get off your chest, my friend, any more tutu at well tidbits for us? No, no, just tutu at well, we, we will rise for our, for our uh, slight, our petite king, Tutu Atwell. Yes, he weighs 145 pounds, but come on. Let's, let's put him out there. You only score 60-yard touchdowns every single time you run him down the field. Week 13. Let's go clinch those playoff spots. Go win some fantasy championships. Why the hell not? For Kevin, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. <laughs>